California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. I am your host, Phil. As always, with me, my trusty co-host, the best and fastest researcher in the West. And tonight, we have a special guest who's on the front lines of the school board fight that is happening all over California. It's become sort of a, a mini revolution, I guess you could say, here in the state of California when it comes to parental rights and school board rights. Leandra Blades, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Thank you. I'm well. How are you guys? Besides our te- technical difficulties. <laughs> We're good. Yeah, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. So uh, so everyone who has been waiting patiently, thank you so much for uh, waiting. We're, we're now live, ready to take your questions. Leandra's here. She's ready to talk about what's going on. Um, so why don't you take a minute or two to introduce yourself? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? So my name is Leandra Blades. Um, I'm a retired police officer. I was a police officer for 13 years. Um, and I um, was kind of just a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home mom until uh, 2020, till all the uh, COVID and all this school board stuff happened. And that's when I decided to run for school board and ended up winning. Um, so got into office in December of 2020. Um, and from then, it's just been kind of this wild ride of parental rights and seeing what's actually in our schools, um, what the teachers unions are pushing in. Um, what, you know, Sacramento's pushing in and the NEA and the NSBA. And it's just been, a, like you said, it's just been a ride. It's been a wild ride. I'm a mom of three kids. Um, I have three sons. Um, I'm married to my husband, who's a firefighter. So we're kind of just the, uh, you know, kind of a normal family. And, you know, we just kind of got the call in 2020 to, to step up and run. And I happened to win. And so here I am. So I'm sorry, and I'm also a trustee. Placentia Belinda is the district that I that I'm, I'm a trustee, and I'm currently the vice president of the board. Awesome. So that's my, so, sorry, go that's ahead. my district. We homeschool, so. So you guys are neighbors. Yeah, um, I I'm sorry to hear that you homeschool. I would have probably told people to continue to homeschool, <laughs> as well from all the things that have been going on. But I could say that um, in May of 2023. We have a new superintendent who is absolutely student-centered and who has done more work for our district, I would say, in four or five months than I've seen people do in years. And so we're really happy with the way um, our school district's going. Um, next month on our October agenda, we're actually opening up a um, – or actually they're trying to petition us to do our own conversion charter, which means that our district is actually in charge of the conversion charter. We use our own students. We use our own teachers. And it's going to be called the Orange County – uh, school of computer science and it's going to be a non-common core um, charter conversion and so we're actually going to have the kids engaged in computer science so they're better prepared for the future but they'll still have their core classes you know history language arts math and so on and so that's gonna that's kind of on the horizon that's going to come um, to our district next month um, and so we've just been doing tons and tons of stuff you know middle school sports is back they didn't have middle school sports um when I got on the board in 2020, there was no middle school sports whatsoever, except maybe a yearly track meet for the kids. And so we, we brought that back. Um, all of our test scores have been low. So we're bringing back interventions, foundational math, um, 
just kind of doing a lot of stuff too, you know, like our fifth and sixth graders who were able to go to science camp that wasn't offered throughout the whole district. And so now every child in our district will have the opportunity to go to camp. Um, and so just a lot of changes, a lot of, you know, extra money being funneled into the sports, arts, um, just different things. And so I'm seeing a lot of, of in the past couple of months, what I've been really seeing a big change in our different district is that we are having a ton of money actually go towards the students, which was not something that I was seeing in mm-hmm. the first um, couple of years. I would say the first few years on the board. Um, and as you know, too, some of our, our, our issues in the past have been, you know, we were one of the first uh, ca- one of the first school districts in Orange County or in the state of California to actually ban critical race theory. And so that was kind of one of the things that was kind of probably the first stand that we actually made, um, you know, that and we didn't really hear too much from Sacramento, not like we're hearing like our friends in uh, Temecula Valley and um, and others are hearing from the state quite as well. But, you know, we did it. We we're very thoughtful about it. And we were very, um, you know, it took about six months when we did it because we made sure the community was involved. Our attorneys were involved and that our intentions were you know, exactly what they were when we decided to, to do that critical race theory ban. So that's kind of where we've been. And, uh, you know, it's kind of continue to push forward. But what our main focus has been is extremely student centered and doing things that's best for the students, keeping the noise and the politics and the social um, topics out and returning to, you know, just curriculum based education. So I want to go back to, you said you were elected in 2020, correct? Yes. Yes. Was there something around that time? I think there was something that was happening around that time that prompted a lot of parents to get interested in school board. Um, what, what was the thing that kind of said, lit the fire to go, okay, I got to run for school board. This is ridiculous. I got to get in there and do something about it. So I would say I was kind of watching, um, I was, you know, it's kind of in the political arena slightly, you know, like I helped someone with the school board campaign and there was like a a recall, like, you know, in another city, someone was trying to recall. So I was just doing like little social media things and some research for them. And um, so then COVID happens. And I remember when I picked up my kids, you know, like even before COVID, one of my kids told me that one of their teachers was a communist and I thought, what do you mean? You're 12 years old. How, you know, like, how, how are you saying this? And then, uh, and then there was a, uh, there was actually a choir class. Like the, I, my carpool kids, everybody was in the same choir class and nobody was singing because the teacher was arguing with them about their politics and their parents' politics. And I thought that that was very odd. And then COVID happened and then the online classes started to happen and you could hear some of the teachers, you know, the lessons were phenomenal. I'd actually sit in and listen Um, because I was getting a history lesson and then others were just a little bit controversial. And so, um, you know, through COVID and stuff, uh, I think parents started to band together and we all started talking and, um, I was doing some back the blue rallies, um, in our town, you know, and, uh, trying to get the, the community, you know, together and stuff and outside again and, um, kind of functioning. And then, so a group of parents asked me to run for school board. And I thought, and I was like, no, why would I do that? And then their story started happening. And then, so I think it was like a connecting of the dots that this was not just happening like at one school, this was happening at multiple schools. And then they would bring in the heavy hitters to like really give you the like broader picture that this is coming in from Sacramento. It's the teachers unions. It had all this stuff. And so 
as I started doing more and more research, I did see exactly what this, you know, the California Teachers Association was pushing. Um, you do see what the NEA is pushing. You do see all of this. And it's kind of like shocking that the California Teachers Association was calling police officers terrorists, like domestic terrorists. I mean, it was just very strange, the stuff that was coming out of there. And it was a little bit like, really, is this what they're telling our, our children? Because we have a community, you know, we're a very diverse community in Placentia and Yorba Linda. But I know that we have a lot of law enforcement. We have a lot of firefighters, first responders. And so I wouldn't want anybody, and my thoughts on this was, I would never want anybody to tell one of my kids that I was some type of terrorist or I was whatever that they were saying from this website. And I don't want the teachers saying that. So it was kind of a little bit appalling to me at first what was actually being taught. Um, and so after this kind of deep dive, I probably had maybe four days left to file. And so I ended up filing. And then it was kind of like a whirlwind after that. You know, after you're assigned, you have your whole campaign ready to go. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of kind of it. I didn't know if I would win. I just knew the type of campaign I needed to run. And I, need, I needed to, you know, stand up for parental rights. And I needed to stand up for, um, you know, the kids as far as, too, is just getting a fair edu education and being taught, you know, the curriculum and not a bunch of extra, you know, noise. And so mm -hmm. I knew some of the things that were happening to my kids too. It just wasn't right. So how was it, uh, how was it campaigning in 2020? It must've been a little bit of a struggle to campaign right in the heart of COVID. Actually, well, I, I went door to door and I, you know, talked to a lot of people. I knew there were some people who didn't appreciate me at, at the door without a mask on. And then there were some people who were, you know, ready to have the conversation. So it's very, you know, it, it was hit and miss. I knocked a ton of doors and I had a phenomenal team with me who was knocking mm -hmm. doors. I mean, it was just, it was a seven day a week process. You know, we did so much. We did, we did a ton of work, um, but we had a lot of support. Um, we had a lot of negative, um, we had a lot of negativity from, you know, the teachers union and, you know, from people who don't agree with parents' rights, which that was really the first thing. I never really thought that that there was people out there who didn't believe in parental rights and they believe that, you know, whatever the school is teaching your kids, that that's just fine. Let them handle it. And so that was kind of my first, um, that was, that was really my first, I would say like brush with, with people who don't believe in parental rights and just think that whatever the school is pushing, whatever people push, that that's okay. Um, but I think we had a winning message because we were for, I think people don't want their kids to go to, um, to school and have the school raise their kids. I think they want them to be able to teach their values um, and their traditions and, and their morals at home and then send the kids to school for reading, writing, and arithmetic. And so right. that's a winning, that was a winning message in 2020, and I still think it's a winning message now. But I think, you know, I was concerned because up until a few months ago, we really hadn't been able to implement that. Because besides, you know, even though you have a critical race theory ban, was there anybody there? Was your superintendent and was, you know, your staff, were they actually implementing it and, you know, holding people accountable for it? And so I would say that um, I believe lately we have become student centered focused and very curriculum driven. And so I'm super confident that the test scores that are failing all across the nation because of COVID and just because of you know, the direction education is going, I really think in the next year in our district, you're going to see our scores start to soar. So I, I'm not obviously as involved uh, <laughs> with school board issues or public school. I, I don't have children in public school. Um, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how an outsider sees it. COVID happens. Kids all have to go home and do remote learning. Parents now get a peek at what their kids are literally sitting through in these classes. Parents now come out of COVID, seeing what their kids are learning in school. They all of a sudden are getting more interested in school board. So Mm -hmm. now it's a continuation of that frustration of what they saw their kids go through in COVID. Parents are starting to show up at school board meetings. They're starting to ask questions. And now you're starting to see a lot of parents stand up for their parental rights. And you're starting to see a lot of these parental rights, parental notification uh, policies being put into place. Do you think that's the logical kind of progression of how COVID pulled back the curtain and parents are now so more involved and we're starting to see a result of that. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that was the the main thing is what parents could hear what was going on in the classroom. Like I, and, and I think for some parents, you know, it was, it was kind of appalling. And I think, uh, you know, some of the questions that I would hear like asked of my kids and stuff um, or one of my kids, I should say, I thought it was, it was strange, but you know, this, yeah, I think everybody just kind of woke up. I mean, I didn't know. And I have a whole family. You know, I think, too, um, if you don't have people that you know who are kind of pushing this stuff. And I think that there's a ton of, of excellent teachers who are actually just there to educate the kids because I know a lot of them. And I know a lot of them in our district. But then, you know, we've also seen, you know, many of the things that the parents and even the students are turning into us, you know, pictures of their work, videos from their classroom things like that. And so you are realizing that, um, you know, there are some, some agendas that some people want to push, which was why we did the critical race theory ban, because we were seeing a lot of things that weren't following with the district curriculum. And I will say that this with the case of the critical race theory ban, um, it wasn't because it's only theory and because there was, it's a controversial topic. Um, but I would also say, too, is that the districts spend millions of dollars on curriculum. And so for people not to teach the curriculum that you're spending millions of dollars on, like what what use is a school board, um, especially, mm-hmm. too, with all of your standards and all of the instruction geared around towards tests and quizzes and all of this stuff. If you have a teacher who's not teaching that, is that fair to the student who's trying to, you know, not only pass this, but then go into the next to the next grade level? And so, um, you know, we really, or I was really, you know, asking for pacing guides and things like that during that time, um, you know, to keep everything on track. And so that was one reason for this ban was because we really needed to keep a deep dive on, on our curriculum and what the students are learning. Um, and I can say that, you know, in some cases that that wasn't happening. And so the parents, you know, I felt like too, if we ignored it, we were going to be ignoring the parents. You know, even if it was like one teacher out of 20, that's that classroom that 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 was happening. And we owed it to the students to be able to like say, okay, that needs to be removed and we need to focus on the curriculum. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. And like this whole parents rights notification, too. Um, I think what many districts have found is that there wasn't anything in their policies or their procedures or any type of manual about how to handle that, these type of situations. And so I think that as we looked, there's nothing in our district that said anything about this. And I think that there was a lot of these topics that there really wasn't any way to handle this. So I think the parental notification is a good thing because now, you know, there's, 
there's a policy, there's a procedure on how things like this, um, you know, are accomplished and what, you know, what the parents' rights are, what the teacher should do, what's the school's job and all of this. And I think what should be, um, I know there's a lot of controversy and people say, have like a lot of different opinions about this. But the way I look at this is that this is giving everybody, this parent notification is really giving everybody a chance to work together. It's giving the teachers, you know, the students, the teachers, the parents, everybody a chance to like work together to make sure that that child is okay. And, um, you know, that their needs are met and that they're safe at school. Camille looks like she was about to say something. Yeah. You were the one that I saw had posted, I think it was 51513 of the EDCO of California and how they like, you know, obviously we've seen what's happening with Chino Valley and Temecula. Mm -hmm. Is uh, Placentia Linda going to need to pass anything or are you just saying we're just enforcing this? It's already in EDCO. How is that? Well, so the EDCO that I posted, it was actually because a lot of these things, what's happening is you're going to see some surveys coming around. And so there's a uh, child healthy, it's called checks. They say CHKS. And so it's like the California Healthy Youth uh, or Kids Healthy Kids Survey. And so in that, you, the district usually will send home a notification of the parents saying, we're going to take this survey and you can opt out of it. And so there are some of these controversial questions in there about, you know, are you depressed? Are you suicidal? Do you, are you more than one gender? And so you can opt these kids out. And so, or you can opt them in, whatever one you want to choose. But then there's other surveys, as you've been seeing in other districts, where this is not part of this survey and these parents have not had the opportunity to opt them out. And so they are asking controversial questions about pronouns and about gender identity. Um, one district I saw was asking if there was any guns in your home, if your parents drink alcohol, or do they use drugs? And I was sitting there going, why would you ask that stuff? And so that was actually, that, that was against that particular ed code because there was no parental permission for that. Mm-hmm. And so from what I was hearing is, was pulled. But so I think we need to look at that ed code for everybody because when your teacher is asking for pronouns, like one of my kids, their first or second day of school, their teacher was asking them for their pronouns and to ask them to write an essay about what their pronouns meant to them and why. And I mm-hmm. said, we're not writing this paper. He goes, I don't know what my pronouns are. I said, we're not, we're not going to write this paper. And I know a lot of parents said that they weren't going to because, first of all, I didn't think that it was correct. But also, too, why do we treat kids differently than we treat adults? If you were going for a job interview and somebody asked you what your pronouns were, or what your, you know, sexuality was, or any of these questions, I mean, that would, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. But we have adults asking these kids these questions. And it's just so inappropriate. What does that have to do with a language arts class? Right. And so that's kind of my outlook on that. What age or grade was that student? Um, the essay. one with the, the essay? Yeah. Um, I've, it was 10th grade. 10th grade. Yeah. And then there's been some others, you know, um, you know, lower asking for pronouns in, in other age groups and stuff. And so that's why I put that out there because it just seems like all over the state of California, I, cause you know, you follow other groups and you follow the districts and stuff like that. And they parents start posting this. This is what was just given to my kid. And so that was when I was researching all this stuff about parental rights. When I came across this ed code, I said, well, look at this, like, this is what you tell the teacher. This is what you turn into that principal or that district that says, no, you're not supposed to be asking my kid this. Um, and so I think as many, as more, the more tools that parents have and the more, the more knowledge that everybody gains, this is how you can push back against this because is it appropriate? Was I upset that this person's asking my son for pronouns? Like, should my 10th grade son have to think about pronouns and what does pronouns mean to him? 
I mean, like, he was like, well, what do I even say? And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I felt like I could say a lot, but probably wouldn't have been appropriate. <laughs> um, I mean, I had a question right on the tip of my tongue. I hate when that happens. Sorry. Um, oh, what are some, I mean, when you went through this and, and you pushed through, uh, and you got this complete, I shouldn't say push through it. When you got this completed, the critical race ban, what were some myths that were thrown around about critical race theory? Cause there's always these people who are like, well, critical race theory is not this and not that. And they try and like diffuse the situation and make you seem like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. What are some myths that you kind of found out and debunked along the way to say, no, actually this is what critical race theory is. I'm on the school board. I see this happening. So what are some of those things? Um, I would say that there's a lot of opinions, like um, a lot of people think America is systemically racist, you know, racist. um, But a lot of things, too, that was in critical race theory, like if you actually look at um, the aspects of critical race theory, a lot of it is that, you know, if you're white, you're only white people can be racist um, and any other type of um, minority group or any other type of group can't be racist. It's just impossible. But there was just a lot of different things of. Um, you know, that there is always an oppressed, you know, someone's always oppressed and someone's always going to be the oppressor. Um, and what we were seeing with some of this thing was a lot of, um, a lot of these like recent books, like maybe in the last 10 or 20 years talk about, you know, anti-racist, um, and different things. And a lot of it was saying that, you know, what they were saying to us was that we were no longer going to teach history. We're no, no longer going to be able to teach about Martin Luther King. We're no longer going to take uh, you know, to teach about Rosa Parks, about, you know, Japanese internment camps. I mean, all of the stuff that is actually our, you know, our history. And so mm-hmm. our response was, well, no, we're not. That's in our curriculum. That's what we want to teach. We don't want to, somebody, we don't want somebody to bring in a different narrative that is not a part of our curriculum and is just an opinion or a theory that you're getting. And we don't want people to feel like one child is an oppressor. You know, we don't want a fifth grader to feel that they're an oppressor. Or, and then for another child to think that they will never be able to be anything because of the color of their skin. And so that was our kind of thing is like, this is, this is, it's critical race theory. This is a theory that you have. And so is that in our district curriculum? No. And so what people were fighting so hard, they're saying, well, it's not in our curriculum. So why are you trying to ban it? And I said, well, if we're not in our curriculum, why do you care if it's banned if we're not teaching it? And so that was kind of a lot of the things that were floating around. And so, you know, we were racist for, you know, banning it. Um, I mean, it was just, it was a little bit of a, I think it was a little bit of a nightmare, but, um, you know, when the kids would come home and, you know, people are teaching intersectionality in the classes and, um, they're, you know, just teaching a lot of the critical race theory concepts, even sometimes they weren't even saying, um, you know, the word, but they're teaching the concepts, you know, and then like you can come home and identify it and they're asking questions like, well, why would he say this? Like there was a teacher who um, told my son that they were racist. If you see a group of, you know, like, a, you know, maybe a typical race across the street or like you're on the same side of the street and you cross the street, you know, because it's like the safer thing to do that you're racist. And I was like, and he says, well, how is that? And I said, well, I said, I think in any situation, if there's any type of person who you just don't feel safe and you cross the other side of the street, I don't think that's just you being racist. Maybe that's just like, how you feel safer or, you know, like what neighborhood I like. So the whole thing is like, 
it was just weird concepts that were coming across. Like, how did that come across in once again, like, you know, a language arts or history class that um, just these type of conversations. And so um, it was, you know, I think it was, it was a rough time. And, you know, like I went on CNN and did an interview and um, it was actually a very good interview. I thought it was going to be awful, but I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to do this. And it actually ended up being a really good interview. We had a really good conversation. Um, I mean, I will say it was like an hour and a half conversation for like three minutes on air, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, I think people are understanding is that this isn't in our curriculum. So why is it being taught? And then I know that Cal State Fullerton, um, they kind of made a political move and they pulled their student teachers from our district because they said that their student teachers are ready to come into our school district and teach critical race theory from ages K through 12. And so when they did that, that was when I knew that the critical race theory ban was the correct thing to do because you have this group saying that critical race theory is not taught in school, but then you have this college willing to pull their student teachers because we weren't allowing critical race theory to be taught in the classroom and they're come ready, you know, ready to teach this. So it is a very real thing that's being taught. Um, And I know that some teachers have, you know, have said that they can't wait for me to get out or to lose power or to, you know, lose the next election so they can go back teaching the way that they used to want to teach, which tells me that, you know, they weren't sticking to the district curriculum, maybe some of them. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's important. I think it's like, I think if we start to look at this whole thing as an employee, an employer employee type thing, like if you have an employer and they tell you to do something a certain way and you deviate from it, is there repercussions for you? Can you possibly get fired if you're not doing what your employer asks? And I've, and I've said this in a board meeting before, and I don't think it was well received by some and not well received by others, but what is the difference with in the teaching profession? If you have a school district who hands you curriculum and says, teach this to these students and you don't, and you're pulling things from YouTube and you're pulling things from other books, are you really doing what your employee told you to do? And is there, is there, and should there be a thing about teacher's autonomy that, which basically means when these students enter your classroom, they are yours and you can interject whatever you want in there. That means politics, possibly religion, whatever. Or are you supposed to just kind of do what your employer says and this is what you teach and this is what, you know, the kids learn and then they move on to the next grade, just like the district has, you know, instructed you to do. So that was kind of long winded. Sorry. <laughs> no. That, sorry. I'm a little long winded. I talk a lot. The, that's the point of these podcasts is so you can actually answer not in like these two minute sound bites that, you know, when people right. go on the news and stuff like that. Somebody in the chat said yeah. the supporters of CRT tried to argue that it wasn't being taught so it didn't need to be banned then when it was banned they said they can't teach it can't teach without it and we were racist for banning it sounds like they were kind of contradicting themselves yeah it was kind of a big contradiction i felt like if when when you sat back and you were hearing the arguments and you know there was a lot of examples that parents and students were sending in that we couldn't you know like people were like well show me show me these examples and it's like well this isn't a private email And they're saying, please don't show this to anybody. We don't want to be outed. We don't want our teacher to be upset with us. Um, And so it was happening. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that's happening all over our school district because there are, there are just tons of wonderful, wonderful teachers that work Mm -hmm. very hard in their job and they're trying to give these kids the best education. But there, you know, there are, I mean, 
we're seeing it. We're seeing it all over the news and we're seeing it all over social media that there are some people who believe that their classroom is theirs and they should be able to teach whatever they want to these kids. And I think that that is, in a, I, and I will say, and I've taken the stance before, it is inappropriate to do so because your job, you're an employee and that's your job is to teach what the district has spent millions of dollars on this curriculum, you know, to give these kids um, a good education and something that will make them successful in the future. And I know that I've seen a ton of things from like the California Teachers Association, which, you know, most of these union dues, um, you know, from our teachers, I saw like, um, I saw like where the dues go to. And so like, say a teacher has $120 of dues every month that they have to pay to the union. Um, you know, because there's chapters in every single school district of the California Teachers Association. So, like, I would not – there's, like, $70 will go to the California Teachers Association. Like, $20 will go to the NEA, and then the rest of the money will go to the local chapter. So, really, like, 90 – the majority of their money, you say almost three-quarters of the money, is going to these political organizations, you know, and it's not even going to, like, their local chapter, so mm -hmm. it is politics and this stuff is being pushed in and that's how these unions have gotten so much of this power and that's how they're able to, you know, to fund these, um, you know, politicians. It's how a lot of this stuff is being put in. And so my thing is, and I've been continually asked this question, is why is the California Teachers Association is supposed to be about wages and benefits and, you know, what a normal union would be, where did they find their way into our curriculum where do they find their way into our instruction and where do they have such a big voice in our schools and why are they pushing their teachers to push this into the classroom? So that would be my question because I've been a union member. I started off at LA County Sheriff. So I was in a, you know, um, a city police department. I was in the union there and none of this ever happened with us. And I know my husband is fire union. That's not pushed into here. So I'm just curious why, where did this come from? And why is this pushed so heavily into the classroom for students? Speaking of the curriculum, 1078 Gavin Newsom signed into law today, which mm -hmm. is the one that now local school boards no longer get to have control over the curriculum. Did you mm -hmm. know that? Did you? I don't know. I was texting Phil about it this morning, but were you aware that that had actually been signed? I think it was AB 1078. Yeah, I saw it. Um, I think it was last night or Monday. Yeah, Monday night. Um, I saw that. And, um, you know, if you read it and stuff, I, I think anything I, I wonder about the constitutionality of that, because the Constitution gives, you know, local control. And so now you have to ask is if, if the governor's trying to sign something like that in, what is he going to do next to the city councils? Like, you know, where does it stop? And so I do think that this is probably the hill that we have to that, you know, we might have to, to die on or, or, you know, stand up and fight on this one because local control is, is you know, paramount for these for our school districts. I mean, this is what, you know, we're elected in. And so you kind of sit there and I'm not really in this, I, I'm not in as big of a panic mode as I think some other people are about this because I did listen um, to Tracy Henderson today from the California Parents Union. And she was given like, you know, some really good advice like, hey, is this actually constitutional? Local control is, you know, in their California constitution, you know, so is this something that we can, you know, is this actually like even lawful for him to do this? And so I would say that all of our school board members from across the state really need to get together and probably take this to court 
because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the whole book banning thing, we're not banning books in our district. The books that are being removed are from, are basically, you know, per ed code and for the penal code, because you're not supposed to have pornographic books in a school library. And so if those are the type of books that are being removed or something that the law actually backs up. We're not banning books based on LGBTQ romances and stuff because that's kind of nonsense. And that's kind of where, like, I would say with the parental rights policy, um, I believe what you guys will see in October, um, if it's ready and it comes, you know, to our board meeting, it's not going to talk. It's not going to have a certain group. Um, it's not going to discriminate against a different a, a, a group. It's going to be a parental notification, like for all. It's not going to, you know, say that one group is going to get notified and then we're going to leave this a whole other group out. It's going to basically be something that is for all students and, you know, re- with all parents. And it's basically a plan for everybody to work together, you know, for the good of the student, because that's what we're really here for. We're here for the students. Um, we're not here, you know, for to keep secrets from parents and, you know, just all the kind of weirdness that's been going on lately, you know, that's, that's come to light. Like I watched an interview when orange did a parental notification, they had a teacher come right out and say, I will not, I will not abide by this. And so, you know, you kind of like, and so that's again, too, people say, people say parents aren't, or teachers aren't keeping things from parents and, and this, but then you have this teacher come out and say, I won't do it, you know? So Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I think 1078, I think we, like, really need to stop and we need to do a deep dive into the language, but we also need to realize that we have laws that, you know, we have a constitution, and the constitution is a law of the land, and so we, we really need to take a look into that and see what um, what will actually be restricted, because, like, as of right now, we're putting forward great curriculum, and um, I don't see the state, you know, trying to say that we can't you know, continue to push the curriculum we're doing because our curriculum is really good. You know, we, we take a lot of time. We've even written our own curriculum. Um, you know, we wrote a, an ethnic studies course early. Um, we called our multicultural studies because, you know, it's in 2025, 26, they're going to have to start taking a semester course. So we wrote our own because we wanted an actual multicultural studies, but we also wanted it devoid of critical race theory. So, I mean, I don't know if that, like, something like that is, are they going to push that back and, and demand that we have critical race theory, you know, in, in our curriculum now? Like, I think these are the questions that, that, that need to be asked. And I think this is what the deep dive needs to be into, into 10. Bill, you here? Uh, I think it's always ironic that, uh, you know, Democrats like Newsom and all of them always claim everything from, uh, you know, Trump to someone burning their toast is a threat to their democracy. Um, but then when it comes to like actually like local controlled, uh, locally elected officials like yourself who were elected by people who say, okay, this is who I want as my representative. And then you put those representatives in place. The representatives do what they're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden they do what Newsom and all of them don't want all of a sudden, Oh no, no, no. We got to pass all these laws and override them mm-hmm. and take away their power. We don't want to respect the will of the people. We know that you are duly elected and this is what people in your locality want to happen, but we're going to just mm-hmm. override it because we, we want democracy that you, that we agree with, not democracy on your terms. So I always find that really fascinating that now right. you're starting to see 
Sacramento get all hot and bothered about local officials kind of put, you know, putting forth their own agenda. And then when it's the agenda they don't like, then all of a sudden they get, they, they start pushing their own power or, or influence on local elected officials. No, I agree. And I think that that's actually like the most scary thing is that, you know, the people spoke in all of these different board races in orange, the people spoke, but the union, um, you know, a small group of, I don't know if they're parents or whatever it is, but I mean, we've watched these, you know, some people have infiltrated some of these, these meetings that they've had and it's, it's, they just want, it's the unions and the CTA is absolutely behind the recall in orange unified. And they're basically just trying to get out the people there because now the board majority is for parental rights and there's no union control. Mm. And so, you know, they're, they're trying the same group. They're, they're attacking me. They're attacking, you know, others, but they say this is a coordinated, you know, this is going to be coordinated against all the, against, with all these different boards because of the whole loss of control. But, you know, I think it's just like what has happened anymore, you know, about the will of the people, like the people in orange voted and, you know, they don't want to accept it. And in fact, the person who um, one of the people who is replaced that they're trying to recall, you know, she has the most money almost invested in this recall. So the candidate who is ousted is putting the most money in to try to get her former opponent out. And so, you know, and she was a union backed um, you know, she was a union back school board member. And so I just kind of think too, is, is, yeah, it is, it's kind of a slap in the face for the people of California to have, you know, the governor, you make all these strides, you do the thing, you do what, you know, you're supposed to be doing and you put in elected officials, you know, to make the change that you want. And then, you know, the powers to be up in Sacramento. Oh no, no, that's not what we wanted for this. And so, you know, they try to put in other laws. And I think that's where we have to start to fight because I mean, if, if we can't, if we can't even control our own, like, you know, like city councils and, you know, our, our school boards and all of the things that we're supposed to be doing locally with all this local control, then really do we have any more power? Do we have power anymore? Um, and I wouldn't even say it's even power. It's just like, do we have a voice? Like they're really trying to take away our voice. Yeah, and it kind of, yeah. um, I mean, California is such a, an enormous, diverse state. It's it's so much more than just L.A. and San Francisco that everybody else thinks it is. Um, I mean, was it 58 counties? I mean, we're, we're basically like our own little country. But Sacramento just passes these laws and this legislation that they think applies to everybody when it doesn't. And they, they don't respect diversity of thought. They don't respect diversity of opinion. Um, and it's, it's gotten scary to the point of like, any time there's like a threat of people starting to organize and push back on their agenda, they have to like rally around this and, and just crush it as fast as possible with the most amount of power. Um, and you're seeing this with a lot of what are, I guess are gonna, they're going to be like future gubernatorial candidates. Tony Thurman showed up to one school board. Uh, Rob Bonta yes. is making a big deal about he's suing local school boards to enforce these policies and get uh, these temporary mm-hmm. restraining orders. Um, and, and I think it's we we had a, a an episode a couple weeks ago. We were talking about the the recent slate of bills that has come out of Sacramento has a, a certain definitely a certain pattern of chipping away 
at local school board power and authority. Um, right. You have, uh, what was it coming? I think it's SB 95. What's the one that they find people or they were planning on finding people or jailing people who were disruptive at school board meetings, people who want to speak up at school board <laughs> meetings. Um, I forget. 1078 <laughs> is another one. Um, yeah. So there's, there's just a slew. You can look at it. They're just, they're using a lot of these, whether it's critical race theory or, or the transgenders rights. Um, they're using these as wedge issues to try and separate parents from their children via public right. school. And then, you know, mm -hmm. people like yourself are kind of standing in the way of that and making it hard for them. So now they just have to kind of drop the hammer on you. Was it, how do you right. feel about that? Well, I think so from one thing that I've learned, it's one, one thing that I've really learned with this whole journey is that you, the worst thing that you can do as a school board member is to play politics. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I've understood, you know, very quickly when I got in there is I did listen to both sides and I still try to continue to listen to both sides. Some sides don't want to speak to me anymore, um, but you can't govern only for your political point of view. You have to govern for all. And so it doesn't matter who it is, you know, what sexual orientation they are, what religion they are, what color they are. I'm supposed to be governing and representing all. And so anytime that I make these decisions or have to make a choice, like even with critical race theory, it took so long to push it through because we really needed to ensure that we were representing all. And so with the critical race theory ban, it was like everyone was receiving the same education everyone, this was for every student. It was going to affect every student in the same manner. And so I think when, I think when some of these um, politics are pushed or we're trying to make these political moves, I, I don't think that it's good for, um, I, don't, I don't think it's good for anybody because we do need to govern for all. Like mm -hmm. if you think of this whole movement with the LGBTQ, um, you know, and their rights. Yes, they have just as many rights as straight kids, as whoever else. Um, and so you have to take that in perspective. But then also, too, is the best way, like single stall bathrooms for all, to get rid of this whole bathroom and this locker room debate? Like, do we have to start thinking outside the boxes? I mean, I don't know. Like, for me personally, do I like to go into a single stall bathroom in a restaurant or like, you know, if you're visiting somewhere versus like, you know, a stall of like eight or 10? I don't know. There's a little bit more privacy. So like, there's things that you have to start like kind of thinking about and you can still stand up for your, you know, for parental rights and you can still stand up for rights for the kids, but you just have to make sure that you're standing up for everybody and that you're not discriminating. And so that's one thing that I think that the lines can, you know, you don't want to like have those lines be crossed because in the end of the day, you know who voted for you and you know that a certain percentage of whoever voted for you but you still have to represent everybody. Mm. And so I would say that too, and um, I'm on the California, you know, I'm on the um, Orange County Republican Party, um, the Central Committee. And that's what I've told people is, I think like we're missing the boat here. Like you are a Republican and people liked your ideas, so they voted you into office. And then the thing that you do is play, is that you immediately start to play politics. And so instead of looking at like, do these students need more funding? Do the arts, do the sports, um, you know, do these things need more funding? Like look at our test scores across the state. They're abysmal. They're horrific. And yet we have people who aren't worried about that. They're worrying about maybe a political agenda 
but what are you doing to serve all these students? And so I think that the focus really needs to be, and that's kind of the way I've been trying to govern, even though I have like people who don't agree with me politically trying to say that I'm doing otherwise. I'm, I mean, you can't really pinpoint anything that I've done that is, you know, political for these kids because I've really been trying to govern for all. And that's kind of been my motto is like, I can't do something that's only good for one group. I have to do something that will be beneficial for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that sometimes when we get so politicized and when we make these political stands and we're doing this, like, is it detrimental? Because like, yes, maybe you have X, Y, and Z passed, but where are your test scores? You know, where's this money going to? Can you be pushing more money towards these kids? Can you be doing this? Can you be doing that? And so I think that a lot of people, everybody, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, like, you just need to stop. I mean, yes, there is an agenda. And yes, you can stop that agenda. But we so we stop it. But we don't need to attack a certain group or we don't need to do this. We need to just be governing for all and try to do its best for all and make mm -hmm. decisions for all students. And so that's kind of where I am. And I've tried to stay out of the this whole, you know, the politics because I realized early on I did listen. It was kind of like, you know, you'd like kind of like go and you start listening, you listen to all sides. And then you realize too, people say the best people are the ones who will govern for all and who will, won't do stuff that's just good for like, say a certain party, but they do what's best for everybody. Or they try to do, the intention is to do what's best for everybody. And so that's kind of the way that I've, you know, tried to do it. And I'm really hoping that like, you know, like transparency, like we didn't have our school board meetings. Um, they weren't, nobody could watch them from home. And so that was one of the things I ran on was transparency. Um, and so now, you know, we live stream all of our, all, all of our board meetings. And so like, I'm trying to do things that's good for everybody. And I'm trying to push, put the money, you know, where it's good. Like if we could divert it away from like ridiculous, like, like there was just so much like waste. There's so much waste in the public mm -hmm. school systems. And so can we get rid of that? Can we get one of that? And can we actually put it towards the students? And so that's what I've been telling a lot of people to do is, we need to fight for the parental rights. We need to stand up and we need to continue to do the right thing by the students. But, you know, we really have to make sure that we're not being activists on a school board because that's, there's no place for that. You know, you're supposed to stand in the gap for these kids, protect the kids, make sure they're getting the good curriculum and all of that. But really, you know, at the end of the day, you do govern for everybody. And so it doesn't matter how far left, how far right, how in the middle it is, like you govern for all of them and you need to listen to all of them and you need to write by everybody. It's almost like the most non-discriminatory way to do this is to just teach the kids what they need to learn. Yes. Not. Yes. I mean, yeah. Sir, any, anything else, it's just teach them math, history. Yes. yes grammar, writing, all that yes. stuff. Yes. Um, I'm sure Camille's sitting there like, yeah, that's that's what you have to teach kids. Just teach them what they need to learn and nothing else. No fluff or anything like that. Um, we're, we're coming up on about almost the hour, 50, 50 minutes. Um, before we hop off, so you said that you there is a parental notification policy coming down the pike for you at, at your district or? Yeah, so it should be... Um... It's being finalized. I've heard at the attorneys, you know, and it should be available. Obviously, it'll be at our October 10th board meeting. 
And, um, when, you know, you're, when we're talking about this, you know, I told our superintendent if, you know, cause parents were asking, a lot of people were asking. And I said, one thing that we need to do, like my only request is if we do something like this, I said, I want it to be for all. Mm. I don't want a certain group of kids, um, you know, to feel like the teachers are, you know, if they say something to a teacher that they're the only kid that's going to be, um, you know, have a phone call home to the parent. I go, I'm worried about the kid who is depressed, you know, in this school, like who hasn't turned in homework for two weeks or a month and it's not like them, you know, and the teachers, you know, I would like the phone call home about that. I would like the, you know, the talking with the parents about that. I would like the person who, you know, may just look like they're struggling, you know, or, you know, if there's been a death in the family or they're having friend issues or they're having boyfriend issues. And if they confide into a teacher, you know, I would, I would like everybody to be treated the same across the board, because I think if we start to not necessarily target a group, but we only are making rules for a certain group of people, I just don't see how, how we can be successful because really what a parent notification policy is, it should be, Oh, like I've said before, it should be the teachers and the school and the parents all working together to keep the students safe and to do what's best for the student. Yeah. And so that's what I requested um, and that's what's supposed to come next, you know, um, for our agenda. And, you know, our superintendent's extremely smart. And so I have a feeling that he's going to put together something that's, you know, really good. Um, and so I'm hoping it's not controversial because it doesn't target any group of people. It's just something that it's like, you know, it just applies to all. And I mm -hmm. think that that's the easiest way. That's the easiest way, you know, around it, because I, I will say that um, last year, when my son, you know, my son, my sons are in sports. And so one of the coaches said, Hey, you know, he just like happened to call me. He says, just checking in because your son, who's usually extremely loud and, you know, just energetic. He says, he's kind of been this whole week, just kind of been down. Like, and I said, Oh yeah, he's on antibiotics for like a sinus infection. And he's just really trying to push through it to the game Friday, you know? And then, and so, but I appreciated the fact that he recognized that there was something wrong. And he had enough care to just give me a phone call and just say, I just want to make sure, you know, everything's good. And I said, yeah, he's on antibiotics. You know, we're just, we're just trying to make it, we're trying to make it through. And so like, you know, things like that, like me as a parent, I appreciated that. Like I've appreciated, uh, you know, like I think one of my kids was in middle school and I had a teacher call home and say, Hey, you know, I haven't seen a paper, haven't seen, you know, this paper come across, you know, and they're usually right on top. I just want to make sure, just want to check in and make sure everything's good, you know, and so you would just ask and like, you know, they just got behind and yeah. they didn't do the paper. They were lazy. And so it's like kind of, you know, catching up. So, I mean, I think in the, in, in the little instances like that, that's appreciative. But then like in these huge things with coming out of the pandemic and the amount of like, you know, the mental health workers we've had to put into schools and the amount of issues and stuff that some of these kids are having. Like, I just think that working together as a team, all of us, like that's the best, that's the best way. But we need to make sure that we're doing it for all students. Absolutely. Well, I uh, I think there definitely needs to be probably about 200 more uh, people like you taking over and getting involved in school boards all over California. And um, like you said, I, I don't think this is obviously uh, we, you've hit a pressure point with those in power in Sacramento. You've hit a pressure point with those in the CTA and the big unions. Um, so I think it, it, it's great because this is where it starts and this is where this could be a real turnaround for 
California in general in terms of parental rights and, and, and school boards. Um, before we sign off on the, for the evening, um, any closing thoughts or anything? Someone did say uh, Governor Blades has a nice ring to it. So <laughs> any political aspirations after school board? Well, I mean, of course, I've been thinking about it. And I would I mean, I love politics and I love to be involved in this and I love to be someplace where there is a fight. And so I would say that, like some people have said, like when I tell people, well, we need to be governing for all, they go, what the heck? You're not in the fight. Oh, no, I'm very much in the fight. Mm -hmm. But I just understand after being involved in this for a few years and walking to campuses and being at all these sporting events, you just realize, you know, the fight is really for all the students. Um, so yeah, I do have political aspirations. I'm going to run again in 2024 for school board again, you know, and try to do a second term because I just think that there's so many exciting things. I'm super, super excited about this Orange County, um, computer school of computer science, um, that we're trying to, you know, implement that. I'm hearing that that's on our board agenda for approval, um, you know, as a conversion charter. Um, and so there's just a lot of things too, that like, I'm just seeing happen that I've seen in the last few months um, that we've been able to work on and things that I've been wanting to do for the last few years that we just haven't been able to because there was no board majority. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I want to see this stuff carried out. I want to see what happens and I want to see where we can take our district. Um, but, yeah, after that, you know, I would like to maybe do something else. I mean, some days, you know, when you're just getting attacked for, like, things that you didn't even do, like, you're like, okay, like, I kind of this is kind of a huge headache and you know, like how much more do you want to take? But then you just realize like if I wasn't doing like something that I was supposed to be doing or being effective, like I wouldn't be, I, nobody would attack me. Right. So, and I, and I think too that I think for anybody that was, is, is getting hit by the unions and, you know, I think the question that we have to ask is when you have somebody like me who's running or is in a school board position, like you have to ask yourself, why is the union attacking that person when she's standing up for all the kids She's trying to give them the best education possible. She's trying to get as much money into the students, you know, as possible. Why would the union have a problem with that? And so we have to start asking ourselves, like, what, what do the unions really want to do with our kids? Because mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, from my experience, it's not about the education or to do what's best for the kids. And so I would say, you know, yes, for sure. We, we have to be standing up and we have to be standing up against the unions because um, just looking at, you know, what they're doing in Sacramento and then look, looking at what they're doing locally, like that's really the fight. You know, the fight is good curriculum and to keep all this social justice and the social issues out of our classrooms. So for any, any school board person who wants to run, feel free to call me and we can talk about this. Um, but I think the message also has to be is you can stand up against the union and you can stand up against this, but you can still, you know, work for all students, which is, which is absolutely my message. My motto has been, you know, every student every day since the second I took office. And so I stand by that. And, you know, that's going to be my motto going into 2024 as well. I think that's a almost perfect place to end tonight's episode uh, on that message and, and governing for all. Uh, Leandra, thanks for coming on tonight. Um, open invitation to come back in, check in maybe after October and let's see how the parental uh, notification policy goes through. Yes. Keep us updated yes. on what else you're doing to, to fight the fight and, you know, govern for all children, like you said. Um, and before we end tonight, yes. I, 
I like to say, uh, as I end every show, uh, make sure you, if you like this show, make sure you like, share, subscribe, review, all that stuff. The best way to support this show is to share it with a friend, especially share it with parents of children who are in public schools um, so that you know what's going on and how you can get involved. And if you want to, you can reach out to Leandra. Um, and uh, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, we'll see you all in the next one. Everyone have a good night. Thanks again, Leandra. Thank you so much. All right. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 